0: Poking with Chopsticks The Truth About Dictatorships A podcast with Okay, Li Wen, welcome back.
1: Welcome back, Marcel.
0: Yes, it was a summer break. We've taken some weeks off, like uh, everybody else also. So, uh, yeah, uh, Yeah. good to be back and to talk China stuff with you again.
1: Yeah, it's good to hear that you recover your energy from this uh, holiday.
0: Yeah, I needed some because energy back after my holidays. Yeah, this is yeah. With some holidays, you always need to actually to recover, actually. And this was kind yeah. of it. Um, <laughs> there was a lot of things. China doesn't give us a break, right? I mean, it's yes. like there's no summer break in China. There's always China matters coming up uh, every other week, every other day sometimes. And uh, so I, I, want to, I want to start the episode uh, with something remarkable that I've read from Joschka Fischer, who's uh, Germany's mm. former uh, foreign minister. And um, he wrote a commentary for the Project Syndicate. He said that the treatment of China by the European Union was, for many decades, he wrote, was driven by greed. Greed was unequivocal, defeating moral. And uh, he asked the question, why is it now escalating? And he says, like, uh, well, simply because it's getting serious, and it sounds like he thinks that the Western countries really now realize it's getting it's it's getting serious. What does he mean with it?
1: It's really interesting that um, that people start to realize China's threat in many ways. The threat has become more obvious. In the past, we in the West did not realize that how China has been putting pressure on the domestic affairs or international order, like European Union, for example. And now we, we feel it, right? In Europe, we, we also feel it. I think this pandemic has really made a turn, like different parties inside European Union was kind of shocked by China's assertiveness. When it comes to like hidden information, not disclosing information in time, and then using the mask diplomacy to basically put pressure on every country and become very arrogant. And I think that was the time when they realized it. And then gradually they they start to feel uncomfortable and then they realize that there are many other issues on the way. For example, right now, German businessmen can't even get visa to go to China, like the European Chamber of Commerce, have to beg Beijing to give visa to do business. Weird, right? Yeah. There's there's, there's <laughs>
0: businessmen really like begging for visas yeah. because they say, I, I run a company in China yeah. and I can't go. Yeah, yeah all these
1: sort of things,
0: um, yeah. Joschka Fischer said, um, mm. we need to find a way between co-towing and confrontation. And um, yeah. as an example, he says, uh, we, we, we shouldn't accept, by no means accept that uh, any interference with 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 the standards of our values as democratic countries, and hmm. but on the other hand, he said um, we also should avoid the illusion to democratize China. I was kind of wondering, democratizing China. Does really anyone <laughs> still <laughs> believe in the yeah. in the in the elites, in the political elites, that we are democratizing China? Is this really? Uh, is that really still going on?
1: <laughs> you are a German. You should know, right? What What are the German feeling? I don't. I don't think the Germans have been a fervent uh, promoter of uh, democracy in China. The, the Americans, maybe, at least so they claimed, when uh, Nixon started his engagement with China. Inside their own little policy making advisory board, people were thinking. Um, that one day uh, through this uh, market economy engagement, China will become democratized.
0: Oh, fifty years the, uh, ago. Fifty Fair years enough.
1: ago, and but actually, lots and lots of uh, articles, uh, policy making uh, people who later come out and and very openly said democratizing china has never been the main goal it was mostly for the market
0: when i when i moved to china in 2007 we were ahead of the Olympic Games. It was a mm. common thinking uh, saying, "Well, do you remember Seoul after the Olympics in Seoul, 1988? It became mm. a democracy. So mm. uh, a lot of people referred to that back then in 2007. Mm. Although I'm not sure they really believed it, or they were just like taking the position of the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, to mm. just to justify why they why they granted uh, um, an authoritarian regime." Uh, the olympic games maybe but so um, but this remarkably changed so right now i don't think in germany there's nobody really uh, left uh, thinking to democratize china it trickles down to people's guts Mm. that it is not about democratizing someone else it's rather defending our values because china is actually attacking our values on our soil right exactly exactly
1: in our yeah. in
0: our sphere, by by yeah. going into the institutions we have and everything, and they're starting to defeat us on our field. And this is, I think, it's rather self-defense right now than it yeah. is uh, trying to to democratize China. Yeah,
1: and and I think this kind of attitude of, like, we need to defend our own democracy now. This sense of urgency, is progress of like realization of what is going on, because. I mean, China's goal has always been, um, let's not say China, let's say Communist Party's goal has always been promoting its own ideology. Ever since 2008, this soft power strategy, quoting from Joseph Nye's soft power concept, Joseph Nye was talking about like soft power of the US by cultural export value export to the world so as to make the world a peaceful kind of democracy-prevailed place. But Chinese Communist Party's elites want to do the opposite. They adopt the word soft power and try to promote this one-party state, lenient bureaucratic governing as the successful model for the 20th century or 21st century's humankind. And this whole thing, Westerners did not realize. I mean, Westerners were so sick. They are completely ignorant or, or insouciant or indifferent about this soft power strategy. True, and then of course Confucius Institute or these purchase. They, you know they put on advertisement uh, promoting Chinese government on new york times and new york times has gained a lot of money from this many other overseas medias i mean in south africa in australia also in czech republic i mean in czech republic they also sold the biggest media group earlier this year so it's all kind of like very strategic but very pervasive and systematic effort over more than a decade
0: right and it's a now i think it's it's a trickling down as I said in Europe um, that well that we have to be more strict and more assertive on our on our point of view and the recent example we have for that was uh, the the visit of Wang Yi foreign minister of China in in Europe and that was really interesting to see because it was the first time it felt like there was really a unity in the European countries Uh, Wang Yi was visiting to confront China with its mistakes and with its uh, wrongdoings, at least from our point of view, from our democratic country's point of view. Wang Yi arrived actually in France. Emmanuel Mm. Macron, he announced that they will open up a second Taiwanese representative Mm. uh, office. He also said uh, he prefers European 5G solutions instead of uh, Huawei, uh, something China doesn't like to hear at all. The foreign minister of, uh, of France, Le Drian, Um, He criticized China on Xinjiang, the educational camps they have in Xinjiang, uh, about Hong Kong, the national security law, about uh, ongoing things in in the South China seas, China's aggressions there. The same went on in Italy. Official statements from Italy uh, emphasized Hong Kong, the situation in Hong Kong. He went to mm-hmm. Holland as well. A majority of the parliament in the Netherlands invited Wang Yi to come and discuss human rights, and <laughs> d- a- a- of course it <laughs> didn't happen. Really he, d- he didn't went there. Uh, and also the foreign minister, he criticized China on, uh, on Hong Kong, Xinjiang, and, and, and so it, it looks like there really was a unity. And I was also pretty happy with uh, with Heiko Maas, the German mm. Foreign Minister. I always found reasons to criticize him. This time, I, uh, when you saw the press conference with Wang Yi and him, it was it was remarkable. He just said things straight. He said, for example, referring to the uh, Czech to the speak of the Czech Senate who uh, who visited Taiwan and who mm. said, in Taiwan, I'm a Taiwanese. Uh, yeah. And for that remark, he was criticized. No, he no, it was really threatened by, by the Chinese government who said um, in return he will pay a high price for what he said. Yeah. So Heiko Maas, the German foreign minister, uh, said at that press conference, there's no space for threats in here if we have this kind of uh, relationship yeah. with the Chinese side. And, he's, and he told in this press conference, I had a phone call with my Czech counterpart, the day before this visit Mm. and he really made clear Mm. guys okay listen we played by your rules for quite a while but we're done now and we're setting up Hmm. Our new strategy towards you. And I think the face of Wang Yi and all these, uh, and especially in that press conference with Heiko Maas, yeah. frustrated. You could see that, uh, you could tell he was frustrated and he was not able actually to give uh, a better idea than talking like 15 minutes about uh, the development in China, blah, blah, blah stuff we all heard. Thousands of times before, but of course he didn't. He didn't give any uh, concrete answer on, any, yeah. on 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 any of the points.
1: Yeah, yeah. What I find interesting this time, of course, is that finally European Union member states show the same united front against Wang Yi representing Chinese government on these human rights issues, also on Taiwan issues. And basically, this is the first time I have seen in many years such a kind of unity among the European states against China. I recently read a very good article, investigative report from Deutsche Welle in Chinese, obviously written by a Chinese journalist who went to Czech Republic And did a thorough research on Czech Republic's president who befriended China to such a level that you somehow feel that he's selling the Czech to Chinese. Mm -hmm. And then there is an investment company called PPF Group NV. And they have a son company called Home Credit Group, which is closely related to the presidential office director, Vratislav Mm
0: -hmm. Mina.
1: Mm -hmm. And this company, Home Credit Group, for quite some years have accumulated immense wealth in Chinese market. This credit group runs a lot of high interest rate loans in China, which can only be allowed if you have a high connection with the with the central government leaders, so there's a lot of corruption involved, and this also this credit group has been exposed with lots of scandals that using violence to go after those who cannot return their debt, and there are people who who had to commit suicide because of that. So President Zeman has been facilitating all these deals. I mean, his own. Office director has got connected to this suspicious high interest rate credit company in China. And then you have Chinese companies, state-owned companies, CEFC, purchased a lot of uh, assets in Czech. All these reached a peak until the end of 2019. And that somehow has given critics against President Tseman, given them a lot of fodder. Not to say earlier this year, the former Speaker of the Senate, Jaroslav Kubera, died from a heart attack before he, his plan to visit Taiwan. And later, the news media found out that actually he was threatened by China for this visit. And so all these sort of things, like, it's really interesting to see how the tide is turned in Czech. Because, I mean, formerly there were lots of panda-hugging and stuff. And then they realized that, okay, this doesn't work uh, because of the bad credit as well as the critics within the democratic system of Czech Republic start to work. And this is something interesting because... Czech now is the leading voice of pushing back China's influence, yeah, like true. almost yeah. overnight. And other European countries stand behind it. I just wonder, what was the turning point for Germany?
0: Well, it's, it's, it's not one thing, right? It's not a single event thing. It's, it's, it was simmering so long. And I think it just took, it, just, it was the amount of things piling up. It started with Hong Kong last year. Uh, well, then, the corona thing i mean and, and and it was just piece by piece and and of course, I mean the German government they knew that they were walking a fine line, but I think they realized that also in the public opinion and probably also in the in the growing dissents within the European Union towards China, they suddenly realized, okay, we have to follow other critics now, and we have to do it firmly. Mm. Also, in regard of their uh, presidency in the EU Council right now they have, Yeah. but also in their general self-concept they have within the European Union. Germany is a strong economic power, and I think they realize that there is uh, a lack of understanding within the European partners when they keep on justifying Chinese hmm. behavior in Hong Kong and Xinjiang. Uh, well not justifying but turning a blind eye to it kind yeah. of and i think that that the german motivation was a conglomerate of all these things coming together that they really feel it's time now that we that we change that we change course and that we now put pressure on china and really just reflect um, our anger. I think the Germans always thought like we want to be China's best friend. Also because a public debate has been started within Germany, in the media, in the uh, civil society. Yeah. And I think this is kind of a public pressure mounting, accumulating yeah. and provoking a change of course. My experience with German politicians also is, you know, they, they, they go along with something for a, certain, for a certain while because they chose to. Mm-hmm. And our pick was to be good with China, we stick to our strategy, not to be too offending towards China. Mm. And uh, now that they change course, they are serious. I, mm. I, I really, I really believe them. I buy that now. Um, it is, it is serious now. I think uh, a lot of things piled up. Also, the fact that for so many years we've been, we've been promised by the Chinese government that certain demands or certain obligations coming with the membership in the WTO and stuff in international institutions that hasn't been accomplished. China doesn't have a lot of good arguments to to counter uh, the critics now. The only strategy Mm. the Chinese government comes up with and the Chinese news media, which are propaganda tools, uh, not talking about some private investigative news media, but about the Chinese uh, propaganda tools, uh, the only way they have is... Threatening, insulting. Seriously, they, 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 they insult the Australians, yeah. they they threat the The Czech, they they threat um, everyone who is not in line with their policies. The determination from the German side, you see. Well, you know, they changed the policy guidelines, or they they formulated new policy guidelines on the in the Pacific region. They emphasized ASEAN states as a new partner. Well, not new partner, but Mm. they want to Mm. they want to deepen the ties with the ASEAN states, uh, all from the South China Sea. I mean, that doesn't come by accident, right?
1: Yeah, I think this reminds me of um, a failed attempt previous attempt by Hillary Clinton, when she was still working in the Obama administration, pivoting to the Asia-Pacific region, they realized a rising China and China's ambition, or let's say aggression in South China Sea. So they were pivoting to Asia-Pacific region, basically means military-wise and diplomacy-wise. That the U.S. should shift more weight to Southeast Asia, you know, Australia, this Pacific region, to somehow counter China's aggression. And nowadays, of course, we are talking about more specific things because the pivoting of Obama's administration was all empty. There was not much happened. No real ally was strengthened, or any real interest that can drive this forward. And now we have really a real demand, like the recent forum held in Taiwan called readjusting the supply chain, because China is now dominating the world supply chain and it is actually highly risky factor. So if we rely on China continuously for this supply chain, we will always be choked in the throat by the Chinese government. So that's why there were American, Japanese, European and Australian participants of like high level participants in this forum in Taiwan talking about how to move the supply chain to Southeast Asian countries and and, and regions like Taiwan or maybe Malaysia, Vietnam and et cetera.
0: You know what's contributing as well. I think what when you try to to get a point from the Chinese side, from the Chinese government side, uh, for example, on Xinjiang, yeah? yeah, um the situation in Xinjiang. So people incarcerated in in educational camps, they call it vocational training centers, trainer centers. You know, the only thing Wang Yi seriously, I think he said in Paris, I'm not sure, but on his trip here now in Europe, hmm. he seriously he answered like, well, they all graduated. And now they all have a job. Um, you know, if you treat as a Chinese government, if you treat someone as a partner like the European Union and tell him such a bullshit, yeah. and this is what it is, I yeah. mean, he doesn't even make an effort. Yeah. To to try to explain things, but yeah. instead he says, now they all have found jobs. <laughs> it's like it's like telling a fairy tale to a four year old and telling them at the end, and now they live ever uh, uh, they, ever they hit, happily yeah. lived ever after. Yeah, come on, I mean, this is your partners. You want to make business, miss. You want to shape the world. Yeah. You're talking about mutual trust, blah blah, mm-hmm. and then you deliver such. Bullshit. Yeah. Uh, the only reaction then can be that uh, when in, if you are in crisis already with with your partner, mm. what do you expect your partner to do elsewise than saying, you know what? We don't believe your word anymore. So we yeah. have to change our strategy towards your behavior. And, uh, and, and, and Xinjiang is a, well, I mean, the German side even um, demanded a, a, UN, uh, a UN investigation, right? Or a yeah. team yeah. that can, that can uh, visit Xinjiang and makes themselves, give themselves an, an, an impression. Yeah. Uh, I, I doubt that they really see the reality what's going on there. But yeah. uh, I mean, there have been a lot of reports
1: but, uh, but do you remember? The past? Do you remember about this sort of international investigation? Everybody knows it's it's a kind of gesture. It, you remember, a World Health Organization has been demanding this investigation into the Wuhan lab, and no, nothing yeah. happened, right? Nothing happened. They,
0: they're still preparing it, right? <laughs> I think they rep- yeah. right.
1: What's the point? And yeah,
0: yeah. uh, we have Xinjiang now. I mean, mm. Tibet is kind of. Uh, um,
1: forgotten place per- yeah
0: it's a for- kind of forgotten place true, yeah. Yeah? Uh, yeah but now there's the next thing coming up inner mongolia yeah um we have we have protests coming up yeah um for people who don't know it it was just like that uh there was a decision um, by the chinese side that f- from now on uh, literature in uh, inner mongolia is not t- t- Taught anymore in local language, but in uh, in Mandarin. From next year on, politics and morality is taught in uh, in 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 uh, Mandarin, and 2022 history as well. Mm. So there have been protests going on. What I wanted to ask you: mm. morality is that a subject that you were taught in I, school I, when I, you were I, in
1: school? I think it's ethics in Germany. You call this ethics school, uh, ethic class. Yeah, religion and ethics in Germany. And, what and is the content of it? Uh, the, in in, in, China, in China? China, in China, it's mostly um, I call it uh, training the good slaves, like be, <laughs> be the obedient good citizens. And uh, when you are really little, you you are taught not to spit on the streets, and not to throw rubbish around. Uh, and then gradually, you are taught, and of course, along the way, you you are taught to obey the hierarchical system in the in in the Wherever it is, yeah, there are so many hierarchies mm-hmm. in Chinese society. For example, you should love your teacher as if she were your mother. Uh, you should. Yeah. But,
0: but, but was it when when you've been in school? Was it like a was it like a, towards society or was it politically? It's, it's, it's everywhere.
1: I mean, it's it's sort of like um, a set of very clear behavior rules to train you from going to the toilet on time. Uh, not toilet, but going to the school on time and only go to the toilet during school breaks Mm. to uh, loving the teacher, to loving the party. It's not only demanding you behave in certain way, but it also dictate how you feel. That is the most, uh, most scary thing about it, that you should love the teacher and love the party to love full, wholeheartedly, as if they were your parents, and that is something very, very um, abstract. I mean, how do you implement that? Right? It's it's hard. Like mm. uh, the the kids were all kind of confused. How do I love them as my parent? But the, gradually, you you get brainwashed this way. You somehow develop a certain kind of uh, uh, Stockholm syndrome that you feel guilty for not loving them. <laughs> And I think that's all the purpose of it.
0: If I was a local official and I would, I would, um, I would justify, or someone asked me, why do you doing that? Why do you change the language in literature, politics, morality, or ethics and mm. in history? Mm. I would argue because I want the kids from the Inner Mongolia, the the local kids, I want them to have a fair chance mm. to make a career and a living in future china because it's more and more important to to speak the language also international wise you want to make international business uh, mm. you have to speak at least you have to speak mandarin instead of the local language
1: no i, I i'm i don't think that's the good pro- reason i mean the, the 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 situation is that these schools that were ordered to change were teaching bilingual courses so both in mongolian language as well as in chinese so the kids growing up there, they, they could have both languages. I mean, they could speak Mandarin. They could read and write Mandarin. No problem about that. I mean, the change is that the government have ordered all these schools to eliminate Mongolian language. That's the problem. And so there is no excuse for this. I mean, the, if, it's, if it were changing from Mongolian to Chinese, or adding one Chinese, you could you could argue like what you have said. But that is not the case. The problem is that they are eliminating Mongolian culture, just like they try to do in Xinjiang, eliminating the Uyghur culture.
0: Why now? Why now? I mean, they have all the fuss in Xinjiang, and now they turn to Inner Mongolia. Right, for now, Inner Mongolia, or, or up to now, Inner Mongolia didn't seem to be a, a spot of crisis. No,
1: not at all. They are peaceful people, very peaceful. They, they make no trouble for anyone. Why don't they finish um, the yeah.
0: job in Xinjiang, kind of? And then turn to in Mongolia, but but Inner Mongolia was never a point of crisis for me. It it always seems to be, this as is, you say, it was
1: peaceful. This is a good question. This is a very good question actually, and and it's it is something that is very hard for people outside totalitarian. I don't think China is authoritarian anymore. I think it's a totalitarian country. Uh, very hard for people outside the totalitarian country to understand that once a party or some, once a human has gained too much power without any check and balance, they would want more and more control without any boundary. And so, if you can, if you can imagine that uh, you are Xi Jinping, that all you want is this full dominance of of power in my life, the more the better, yeah. I would, uh, he, he absolutely want to be worshiped by the whole world, but now the world is turning against him. Uh, so what can he do is to keep on uh, strengthening his power domestically. And that is of course, including, first of all, to to now he grabbed more power. Do, do you hear the news that recently he has somehow grabbed the police Under his rule, I mean, the police used to belong to the civil government side, and he was like in charge of the military. But now he has established some government branches to take over the police forces. So the police now, they are reporting to him. And then any minority that is speaking a different language is probably, in his mind, uh, in need of whipping into line, like it's dangerous. So why don't I just like eliminate this problem forever, assimilating all the children of this generation and make them forget their Mongolian identity?
0: Do you think that the Chinese government underestimates their perception within foreign countries? I don't think they care. But but why do they act like that why do they why why are they so it looks like they're so careless as you say like they turn author uh, uh, not, uh, from authoritarian Total to totalitarian, to, to, totalitarian. Yeah. and and instead of yeah. you know they, they 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 perceive all that criticism and they now the sit they know the situation is right now is 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 really is really but i mean if, I mean, if they want look, to make their point every, out, out of the world, no. in the world how can they just, you know, don't care what the rest of the world thinks and Inner Mongolia just adds up to a, a new point of critics, you know, it's just one more where people say like, what's yeah. going on in Inner Mongolia now and they don't make more friends with that, you know
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, poor Inner Mongolians I, I have heard of four cases of suicides already in the in the protest and, and also these uh, teenagers and kids, I mean they were protesting in their school, and then they were beaten up by their teacher when they were forced to go back to school. I mean, it's really brutal. But but to think about this, you have to understand the logic of the Chinese Communist Party ever since um, the opening and reform of China. So now everybody is feeling nostalgic to the Deng Xiaoping's time. China was opening up and you know, reforming itself, so-called politically becoming more lenient and etc, etc. But Deng Xiaoping's purpose was not to democratize China. He has, he has told it very clearly, which means hiding and biding, biding for the time. For the time for what? To rule the world. I mean, the purpose has never changed. And ever since 2008, China ranked the second GDP in the world. And Beijing Olympic was held then. I mean, Chinese Communist Party has become very, very confident of itself. It's like a kind of overestimation of its own power. But there certain truths behind it. I mean, there's certain reality that the Western countries have not done their job to counter this force. I mean, it's all like business, business, business. And so, OK, now you guys all depend on me to produce your pants. Your mask, your antibiotics, your car tires, everything's manufactured in China. China knows its own power. And in the end, when Heiko Maas was very cold to Wang Yi, they still were expecting this China-European investment agreement to be carried out. Business went on as usual. They are still dreaming. So as long as this continues, and as long as the U.S. is is still now messing up itself, I mean, by Donald Trump as well as very weak Democratic Party, China see itself unparalleled. Chinese government think it's powerful, and it is in many ways, right?
0: Do you think it is a smart move, what they're doing right now in Mongolia?
1: Of course, of course not. I mean, it is definitely not smart, but it has nothing to do with smartness. The, 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 the problem is that Ch- Chinese government has been doing these brutal things repeatedly over decades to its own people. And it has a set of uh, skills that can quickly kill the riot or rebels at a very early stage. I mean, in Tibet you have seen ha- like more than a hundred of them burning themselves to death, self-immolation, right? What happened there? Quietness nowadays, dead quietness. In Xinjiang, millions in, in the jail, it's the same shit. In the Mongolia, the Inner Mongolians are already very peaceful people, what uh, what more can they do? They kill themselves. And not to say nowadays with this control, digital control, the technology is so developed. People don't have any space to move about, to exert their will or independence of thinking unless they are willing to risk their lives. But few people would like to do that. It's, It's just too easy now for it to control. So there is certain... It's stupid, of course, and it's bad, but they are like that. I mean, the elite in Communist Party, they only believe in power, nothing else.
0: Well, I think that was a nice comment to to finish this episode today. There's a lot of things um, in the future to be debated, and uh, we try to accompany that with uh, our input in uh, the coming up episodes. Wen, thank you very much for your time today. I suggest uh, we come up with an exciting new story or new episode next time. The Chinese government sh- for sure will supply us with more subjects <laughs> to talk about.
1: Yes, it is uh, such a dramatic time in history. That is really, in, in a way, it's exciting, I think.
0: It is indeed, yeah. And it's fun talking yeah. to you. Here you next time. Thank you very much, Li Wen.
1: Thank you. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.
0: with Chopsticks, the truth about dictatorships, a podcast with Qin Li Wen and Marcel Chan.